We're picking up this morning in Romans chapter 5. We've been in Romans for some time, and we are getting into the second half of Romans chapter 5. And it all fits together. All of these verses, verses 12 through 21, go together. They explain how it is that we can benefit from something Jesus did for us. How does His work become our reward? But before Paul gives that answer in full, he lays some groundwork. He gives some backstory to explain how it is that mankind found itself in need of saving. Why is it that we all share these problems of sin and death? It does not matter where you go in the world. It does not matter where you travel in time. Any human you run into has these same problems. Sin and death. And so this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 14 to explore where these problems came from, why do we all have them, and what hope do we have to face them. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles, Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 14. Hear the word of God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks for your word. We thank you, O God, that you speak the truth to us. We thank you especially that your Bible all holds together. That Old and New Testament hold together. That things long before and things that come much later all fit seamlessly together, telling a clear story about who you are and who we are and how that is broken and how Jesus came to fix it. And so God, give us ears to hear today. Help me to faithfully proclaim your word. And would you, O Spirit, work through the power of your word to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So the big question that our text is addressing and that I want us thinking about is how come all mankind suffers from these same problems of sin and death? You see, when it comes to other problems in life, we don't all have the same problems. Some people have back pain. Other people have foot pain. Some people face diseases. We have all sorts of problems. And not all of them are exactly the same except sin and death. And so in this passage, we're going to examine how Paul shows us that Genesis gives us a coherent story that explains the origins of these problems. And then we're going to consider how Adam's unique status caused all of these problems to spread to every single person. So first, we're going to understand the origin of these problems. And Paul takes us all the way back to the very beginning. He turns to the biblical account of creation in Genesis, and he's looking at the person of Adam. He writes in verse 12, 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so in verse 12, he's not mentioning Adam by name, but he does in verse 14. And so he's telling us here that Paul, that through this one man, the very first man that God created, Adam, sin came into the world. And once sin entered the world, so did death. That the origin of sin and death is found at the very beginning. It's what we saw in our Old Testament reading from Genesis 3. That prior to Adam and Eve disobeying God's direct command, humans did not have a sin problem. Now, yes, there is the issue of what is this serpent guy? What's he up to? But that's not Paul's focus. Paul's focus is not on where did evil come from in general, but how did these things become humans' problems? So sorry, we have to leave that for another day. Now, this story of the fall in Genesis 3, I think, is reasonably well known to people, especially many of you who are in church often. And so it seems to us very natural that Paul would reference this story. But I want you to notice the underlying assumption of what Paul is writing. Paul assumes that Adam is a real historical person. Not only that, but Paul assumes that Adam was the first historical human. Paul does not treat the story of Adam and Eve as some kind of invented myth or as some kind of fable to discourage us from disobeying God. No, he says that a real person, Adam, sinned an actual sin that led to sin entering this very world that we live in. And so Paul understands the biblical story to be true. That God created the world and he uniquely created humans in his own image. That God first created a man, Adam, and then he created a woman, Eve. And that all of humanity can trace our ancestry to these two individuals. And Paul, Paul understands that scripture teaches that this man and woman were created good and upright and without sin. But when they disobeyed God's direct command, they brought sin into this otherwise good world. This is the biblical account of the origin of mankind, of sin and death. It is a clear, coherent story. By story, I do not mean it is fictional, not at all. I mean it is a sequence of events that explain the origin of these things. That what we believe about human nature, the problem of sin, the reality of death, all of these things are dependent upon the biblical understanding that God created Adam and Eve And that they disobeyed and brought sin and death into our world. The problem is that we live in an age when there are other competing stories that give a different account for the origins of mankind. Most notably, there is the widely accepted theory that mankind and every other species on earth gradually evolved from lesser life forms over a very, very, very long time. 
And people who believe that story do so for good reasons. They're often intelligent, thoughtful people, and they can clearly articulate their story in a very convincing way. But that explanation of human origins fails to provide the coherence and satisfaction that the biblical story provides. In fact, this alternate theory that our world holds on to tightly results in frightening conclusions. Just consider some of the differences in what these two stories believe. Consider how we explain the existence of all of the biodiversity here on earth. That there are millions of distinct species here on earth. And the Bible tells us repeatedly in Genesis chapter 1 that God created all things according to their kind. If you just go back and read through Genesis 1, you're just going to say according to its kind over and over again. That he populated the earth with biodiversity. And he uniquely made humans in his own image. And this explains why there is such a diverse collection of species on earth, but why humans also seem to be at the top of those species. Now, the alternative story tells us something different. That all species evolved from more basic life forms. That at some point, new species were born from old species. And this happened millions, if not billions of times. Not only is this evolution from one thing to another thing a huge mental jump, but it does not adequately explain the origin of things like the materials and molecules from which life developed. And so it's not a satisfactory answer. You can't simply say, well, anything's possible over billions of years. Really? Is it? Are humans really just the product of billions of years of genetic dice rolls? Are we merely accidents who have no real significance? Are our great-great-great-grandparents ooze? Is that who we are? Does that explain the world? So when you consider things like that, you're left thinking, this is not a better story than this one we find in Scripture. Or consider that we humans have such a strong moral sense that transcends cultures. Go and visit any human culture or study any human culture over time, and you will discover that all people have a sense of right and wrong. That people ought to live a certain way. And yes, some of the specifics on the periphery may differ slightly, but human behavior differs from all other species because we are moral creatures. And the Bible explains this difference. It says we are moral beings because we bear the image of a moral God. The Bible adequately explains why we have such morality. But the alternative story tells us something different. That we are just life forms following the evolutionary process where only the strong survive. Well, if that's the case, should we get rid of the weak? 
Should we eliminate those who are weaker among us? Perhaps we should go around and proactively weed out those who are prone to disease in order to have the human race progress and be stronger in the future. You see, the theory that we evolved from other creatures undermines the cherished values in our world of human rights and the equality of all persons. And so this theory leads us in the frightening place where we will do anything to protect the strength of the strong. It does not give us a satisfactory answer to why we have these moral impulses within us. Now, I spend time on these issues of creation because Paul assumes the biblical story is the true story. It coherently and satisfactorily explains our existence as a distinct species, as well as our moral sense of right and wrong. The understanding of humanity's origins then sets the stage for the origin of our biggest problems of sin and death, because that's where Paul is focusing. And so to see the problems, we must first see that we all understand what a human is. And so now we have to ask that question, well... How exactly did sin come into the world because of Adam's first sin? How did that happen? Going back to verse 12, here's what Paul writes. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So death is the consequence of sin. And it has clearly spread to all people because all people die. So using Paul's logic, that means all people also sin. And so all people sin, and all people face the consequence of sin. But why is that? Why wasn't some cute little baby born at some point in recent history who just never sinned? I'm sorry, kids, it's none of you, okay? We've all sinned. So why is it that we keep getting this wrong? Did all subsequent humans learn from Adam's example that just as children might model bad behavior of their parents, perhaps we have just been modeling the example of our first parents for thousands of years? Did sin spread because we have followed the example of Adam? It's not what it's saying. There are three important clues in this text that make it clear that we are not just aping our ancestors, that we are not just mimicking the men and women who have gone before us, that something else happened in the garden. Three clues. We're going to look at them. First, notice in verses 13 and 14 that Paul goes on this brief tangent about the law, that between the time of Adam and Moses... God did not give explicit commands to his people. Adam had the command, don't eat from that tree. Moses had the law, the Ten Commandments and other commands. But in between, in this space between Adam and Moses, God did not reveal specific commands. And yet, people still died. They still sinned. But there wasn't that tree to eat. And so they were sinning in some 
other way. Paul even says sin is not to be counted where there's no law, and yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. It's like he's saying people shouldn't have been judged in that time period because they didn't specifically transgress any of God's laws. And yet, it appears all of them were judged. Hmm. So that's clue one. We're left thinking, why are people dying when they didn't break a clear law of God? Second clue, notice that Paul is only talking about Adam. But, as Levi helpfully pointed out, who committed the first sin? According to Genesis 3, it was Eve, that she was the first person to disobey God's command. Do you notice Eve? Not in this passage. Elsewhere in Paul's letters, he mentions that it was Eve who committed the first sin. He doesn't mention her here. Hmm. And who was the first person to die? Was that Adam? No. That was Abel who was murdered by his brother Cain. And yet Paul says that death spread because of Adam, not because of Cain and Abel. Hmm. And so clue number two is we're focused very much on Adam and only Adam. Interesting. The third clue here we find at the end of the wording in verse 12. Paul writes that death spread to all men because all all sinned. Paul does not say that we all die because we sin like Adam or because we keep on sinning. He says we all sinned. As in a single sinful action we did together. Paul is saying that somehow every single human sinned when Adam sinned. I'm not that old. I wasn't there. How is it that we could have sinned with Adam in the garden? It's our third clue. And so as we, as we piece these clues together, they reveal that Adam had a unique position in relation to all mankind. When God created him first and gave him that first command, God entered into a covenant relationship with Adam. And Adam became our covenant representative. That what Adam did, he did on behalf of all of us. For better or for worse. And so when Adam sinned, all those whom he represented sinned as well. Like an ambassador negotiating a peace treaty who signs on behalf of all the residents of the nation saying, we are all now at peace. Not just me, the one ambassador, but the whole nation is now at peace. So Adam acted on behalf of the interests of many people. But instead of securing our peace, Adam brought us disaster. This representative sin of Adam is known as original sin. That all people inherit the consequences of Adam's sin. That we are all born in sin. We all possess a sinful nature that rebels against God. 
And so we are not only destined to die physically, but to suffer the spiritual death of separation from God and His judgment as well. And so before a child is ever born, he or she has inherited original sin. Before a child is able to choose to disobey, he or she is a sinner under God's wrath. This means that people are not by nature inherently good or even neutral. That we are sinners through and through. And so sin is not some disease we can catch by hanging around with the wrong crowd of people. Sin is like a genetic defect we are born with. As Jesus said in our New Testament reading, sinful desires come from within our own heart. Sin springs up within all of us because we all trace our ancestry to Adam. Now yes, some of us will sin more than others in worse way than others, but none of us are free from original sin. We all stand under the curse of sin and death because of Adam's actions at the very beginning. And this is usually the point in talking about original sin where we want to just shout out, that's not fair. It's just not fair, is it? How come we have to suffer for what someone else did? Why do we get stuck with Adam's curse? We didn't choose Adam. I wouldn't choose Adam. As Americans, we feel strongly there should be no condemnation without duly elected representation. But we often forget is that there's a lot in life that we didn't get to choose. We didn't get to choose who our parents are. We don't get to choose where we are born, when we are born. Sometimes I'd like to think like, man, I'm really glad I wasn't born like in the Philippines in 750 AD. Like, that would be a very different life. You know, you could be born in all sorts of different places and all sorts of different times. And you'd end up who knows where. We don't get to choose that. We don't get to choose our skin color, our eye color, our hair color, our height, our sex, our other physical characteristics. There's so much about life that is outside of our control and it influences who we are and how we live. And so this is not a new thing. This is a thing we deal with in so many different ways. Even if you wanted to be like God, you made a bad choice. Just consider that God literally created from scratch the perfect human representative. He didn't have any sin. Any other choice you had, guess what? They'd be a sinner. It's not going to go well. Adam had the ability to freely choose to obey. Yet he still sinned. And so we suffer the consequences of our representative sin. And so when we think about this, we understandably look at all the negatives of original sin. There are a lot, a whole lot. That Adam's sin led to the corruption of the human race, to the curse of physical and spiritual death, to the fall of just oh, the entire creation. That's all. But we must not miss what Paul is doing in these verses. He is presenting the problem in order to show the solution. Look at the end of verse 14. Paul calls Adam a type of the one who was to come. This hope of a type of the one to come 
is the focus of the rest of the verses that we'll touch on next week. We've got to take just the quickest of peaks today, though. Because Paul shows us that a representative's actions can bring negative consequences to those he represents. He can bring condemnation and corruption. He can pass on the curse of sin and death. But doesn't that also imply that a representative could pass on positive consequences? Couldn't a better representative pass on blessing instead of curses? And suddenly we're like, hey, I like the idea of representatives now. I didn't like that first one, but this other one sounds better. And so as Paul goes on to explain in the following verses, Jesus is a kind of second Adam. His actions do not bring us condemnation, but salvation. And so I want you to hear these lyrics that are printed in your sermon outlined for you from this hymn. It says this, Christ, the true and better Adam, Son of God and Son of Man, who, when tempted in the garden, never yielded, never sinned. He who makes the many righteous brings us back to life again. Dying, He reversed the curse, then rising, crushed the serpent's head. You see, all of us are children of Adam. We have all inherited original sin. We are corrupt in our whole nature, bent on sinful rebellion against God. We are justly condemned in God's holy wrath. That whether we like it or not, it is true. We not only have parents, but we have first parents and a covenant representative whose failure led to our fall. And this explains how humans are prone to evil and selfishness. We all share this ancestry. But the hope that Paul shares here for us is that we have a different representative. We have a better Adam, Jesus Christ. And he can be our representative if we acknowledge our ancestry, acknowledge our sinfulness and need of a Savior, and we see in Jesus the only one who can lift the curse and give us life. We trust that Jesus suffered the wrath that we deserved. He secured our reward that our representative, what he has earned, is now ours. And he and he alone has the power to work and renew us from the inside out to get rid of every trace of sin and corruption and bring us with him into glory. Thanks be to God for the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would seal these words on our hearts. We pray that though our hearts are sinful and they turn from you and they don't want to listen to your word, that you, by your spirit, would open our hearts to receive the truth. That you, O Lord, would help us to trust in Christ, to turn from our original ancestry and go towards him, knowing that we can be children of God by your grace. Fill us with that hope. May we rejoice in the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Amen.